0: turn to Psalm chapter 20, which will be our text for our message today. I have to tell you, I'm not a huge fan of YouTube, even though I do use it. And I think about all of those years that I worked on cars, and if instead of looking into a manual, I could have watched YouTube and seeing the mistakes that somebody else made, I could have saved myself a lot of bad knuckles. But one of the things that I've seen lately, and maybe, don't know how I got there, uh, chainsaws gone wrong, or whatever it might have been, here is Joe, homeowner, is going to cut down a tree. And he's got it down to one large limb coming out of the side. He's positioned the ladder, which looks to be right, off to the side. He's up about 10 foot. He's leaning around, has a chainsaw placed directly where he should. He cuts it, and all of a sudden, the limb turns into a pendulum. The ladder, the man, and the chainsaw all go three different directions. Or the one that looks like he's done everything right, It looks like a big piece of asparagus sticking there. This big tree, he's got it down, the last cut. He's got a rope on it so that there's only one way that it shouldn't go. So they're going to make sure that it goes, does not go that way. And I I got it figured that it's probably the brother-in-law that showed up. (laughs) And he's holding on to the rope, and you know that he's there because they offered him lunch and probably some some free beverages. So they start, and he's putting the tension on it. He must go about 165 pounds, and he's going to hold this tree from going the wrong way. Well, you know what happens. It's a direct hit right where they didn't want it. It made me think of what I think Psalm 20 is going to be telling us, and it's the same thing that was, should have been seen in these applications, and that is preparation and implementation. Both of them are very important. And I don't know if in cutting down trees, preparation necessarily means success and implementation. But as, I've, as we've worked through Psalms and come to uh, chapter 20, we've seen God at work in many ways, Yes, Psalm is a book for, a handbook of a life, a blessed life lived. It is talked about God being praised, God being honored, going before him and asking for him to do a work even when we're in the midst of such great distress. But I think 20 is a little bit different. Its original intent was that that David used it as a song. And it was a song to be sung before going into battle. And I think the two things that were important in my first illustration are also important in going into battle, and that is preparation and implementation. We can see directly these two things spoken about through David in this psalm. Follow along as I read Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May, may the name of, God of ja- the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill, fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation, and in the name of our God, set up our banner. May the Lord fulfill all our petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, But we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. David, King David, is writing this psalm. He has been divinely inspired. He wants a plan for battle, and he knows that it starts with prayer. But he also knows that we must pray for ourselves, we must have others pray for us, and we must have other leaders praying for success. Anyone that has any amount of experience in life, whether you are a great prayer warrior or one that is still seeking to do better, know that we must have others praying with us And we must be very specific on what we tell them we need to have prayer for. I think one of the great examples of that is Paul in the New Testament. At least in six different books that he wrote, did he not ask for prayer? I want to read you just one example from Romans 15, verses 30 through 33. I appeal to you, brothers by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelieving in Judah and that my service for Jerusalem and be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. He asks for prayer, and he specifically tells them the things that he wants them to pray for. He wants to visit them. He wants to have a time of refreshing. He wants to be used to help equip the saints. It's very clear what he needs and wants, and he wants prayer. So how should we know and understand what David wants of us in Psalm 20? I believe that through the example, David gives instruction in how to pray as preparation for battle. He gives us specific instructions. And he says that God will answer prayer. In verses 1 and at the end of verse 5, he says, May God answer you in a day of trouble. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions David has a crown on his head. He is king over many. He has had many vast victories, but he still knows and understands from his past that he must call upon God for victory for God to be with him. I would recount to you briefly one of those in psalm i'm sorry in Samuel seventeen verses forty five through forty seven when he came up against the giant, It wasn't because of his ability in battle. His size compared to his opponent was huge, meaning the giants, not David's. But he knew where his strength would come from, and he said, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and then cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword or spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. David knew prayer was needed for himself by himself and for others. But that might give us the question, how does God answer prayer? The answer is always the same. God's answer is the same. It's always from his perfect will. His answer to whatever the situation, whatever we come before him, will be perfect whether we understand it or not. We might see it as yes, no, not now, maybe, but it is a perfect answer because it is always what is best for us, his people, and what gives glory and honor to him. But David also goes on for instruction and says that we should pray for protection. The second half, verse one and verse two. May, may the name of God of Jacob protect you, may he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. There's two kinds of support. David mentions both of them. One is personal and one is spiritual. The personal protection, he said, is to guard against those things that would cause us harm. I believe that God does want to protect us, that he is with us. His word tells us over and over again that he will never leave or forsake us. In a time of trouble, we are to call on him. Personal protection is important, and he will deliver. In just a few psalms that we come, we'll come be coming to in Psalm 23, it's a great way of God expressing how much he is with those that seek after him. Personal protection. But also there is spiritual protection. Strength out of Zion is spiritual strength. It is strength for our soul, our inner person. God also protects that. God is the one that has victory over the devil and evil. He is the one that will not lead us into temptation, but will deliver us. He is the one that guards against those forces that would come upon us and lead us astray. Our spiritual life is very important to God, and he is the one that oversees it. His Holy Spirit is with us. I have been encouraged, I think, not only in our own community group, but also in some of the activities that have happened uh, in asking for prayer among uh, this group of believers in the last week or two, is we have had opportunity after t- opportunity to be praying for other people, some people that we don't even know. And they have been, some of them, personal, whether it was healing or for intervention in something that's going on in their life. But what I see coming from, the, from our people is that they're making a connection more and more between personal and spiritual. Because it isn't just we need to be praying for this individual because of what's in their life, but also may the situation that they're in also be used to bring them spiritually to know you as Lord and Savior. I just had a conversation this morning with one of the people here at Crossway. And we were talking about the flood in Texas. And the devastation that is there, we we can't understand it. We're not there firsthand. But what was relayed to me was that in the midst of such personal need, there is such an outpouring of Christians coming alongside and the opportunity for those people to be witnessing and turning people from the tragedy that is there that they face to the God that will save them for an eternity. Because God's word says we can have everything in this life, personal protection, but it means nothing if we spend an eternity away from him. So David has asked for uh, knows about answered prayer and for protection. But he also sees God's gracious acceptance of his servants. Verses 3 and 4. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans I think that one of the things that God has done in my own life as I have uh, been used by him to prepare messages, I'm not saying that it happens every time, but there's usually something there that God says, "Uh, Richard, you, you need to hear this. And he gets my attention. And I think this was the point in this psalm, this message that got my attention. And I think it comes to me and to us as a warning. God looks first at the heart, not the sacrifice. Sacrifices and what is done for God may define his people, but it doesn't necessarily guarantee acceptance by him. And how do I know that? Well, one of the ways that this came to me is Your elders, when we get together, the three of us, we talk about the business of this church. We pray. We set schedules. But we look at God's word together. And we've been looking at the book of Amos. And we've been studying it. And with the help of a study guide written by a man by the name T.B. Betts, we see that Amos was an ordinary man used by God and not in an easy way. He had to leave where he lived, go to foreigners, his own countrymen, but he did not know them. And he sa- God says, I'm going to tell you to tell them that I am not happy with them and I'm bringing judgment on them. And why wasn't God happy with them? It was because they had turned away from him and had made idols the most important thing in their life. But they wanted to continue on and give sacrifices and offerings and praises and songs to him, thinking just the mere act of those things made them okay with God when their heart pursued somebody else. This is what God said. Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 27. I hate, I despise your festivals and take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings, your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melodies of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you bring me sacrifice as an offering during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Siketh, your king, and Kion, your star god, your images that you made for yourself, and I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God of hosts. He wants nothing to do with their sacrifices. He wants nothing to do with the offerings that they give to him. David is saying in this psalm, God sees your sacrifices, your offerings, but what he really sees is your heart. Don't offer to him sacrifices when your life is not right with him oh, that's Old Testament. That doesn't apply to us. Yes, it does. We can have our own list. We can say, my church attendance is good. I'm reading my Bible. I'm doing some praying before meals. I even come to community group. In fact, I even put offerings when it comes time for the collection. But our heart is so far from it. They mean nothing to us because our lives do not show that he is Lord and Savior over us. And he says, I hate them. I despise them. We do not want to hear that. He sees their heart. But also David instructs that we should pray with confidence of salvation. Verse 5. May we shout for joy over your salvation and the name of our God set up our banners. Notice that the confidence was not in victory, but in salvation. So how do we know and understand what the word salvation means in this specific instance? In fact, in the Old Testament. Well, First, I went to Richard's Complete Bible Dictionary, and I looked up salvation. Now, I have to stop right there. And I've explained this to our community group, and I'll explain it to you. That while the other two elders, Pastor Doug and Pastor Doug, were pursuing degrees in higher education, I wasn't home writing Richard's Complete Bible Dictionary. This is by a gentleman by the name of Lawrence O. Richards, and he has written the dictionary that I used for this reference. And he says, The definition for salvation is deliverance from slavery or some great distress achieved by someone, notably God, acting on behalf of the endangered person or nation. 353 references in the Old Testament on salvation, deliverance. Out of those, maybe only three, two in Psalms and one in Ezekiel, have anything to do with spiritual. The rest of them are deliverance from historical acts of nature or something that came about or people that were invading God's people. And he would give them deliverance. So the Old Testament makes it clear that God is the one that intervenes for his people. And it comes about because his people are in a covenant relationship with him. David knew that only the deliverance of God would bring salvation. He asked that his people, his fellow leaders would pray for it as he did himself. So those are the key components in preparation. So what does David say about implementation? Faith as implementation in battle. It's not a plan It's not how we go about. We see in my first part about what we see in those cutting trees down, even great preparation doesn't necessarily mean that implementation is going to go well. No, deliverance comes down to one thing. Salvation comes down to one thing, faith in God. David assures himself of it and others, and we should be the same. See, what he is saying is, and I will now read from verses 6 through 10. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall but we rise and stand upright. There's only two groups of people. You either believe in yourself and what you can accomplish, or you believe and trust in God. Let's look at the self-reliant first. The psalm says that they trust in the arms of war, chariots and horses. At that time, that was the best that there was. But whatever it would be, whether it would be the numbers, the might of the army, whatever, it is about what man has produced to wage war. That is where they trust. I lived through the Cold War. Most everyone in this room lived through the Cold War. It started, basically, in 1945, when World War II ended, until about 1991, when the Soviet Union collapsed. And what it was, was two great powers that could wage war at any time. And from that, what we saw and heard were terms like mass destruction, complete annihilation, first-strike capabilities, And we that have lived in Michigan for any amount of time, we were so keenly aware of that because of all the Air Force bases that we had in this state. And at Wurtsmith, one of those Air Force bases was to have B-52s, the greatest bomber in the world at that time, in the air, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for first strike capability. Friends, Our money says in God we trust. Our actions say we trust in horses and chariots. We trust in weapons of war. I don't mean that as a criticism against the greatest country in the world where I get to live. I go to bed every night thankful that I will sleep well Knowing that there are those that stand the watch. But it gives us responsibility. And that's this. First of all, we should be praying for our leaders that have this great power and authority, that they use it wisely, that God gives them good counsel through good thinking individuals. And also, as Christians, we should be praying that it is not only our money that in God we trust, but that we are a nation that trusts in him and that we evangelize and be willing to come alongside those that do not know him. That's the only way that things will change is if they know Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. But there are also those that think of themselves and are content to think that they can be in charge by themselves. We have been going through Joshua and into all the way through 2 Kings, and the story is the same. People have turned their back on God. They have a lack of faith. I'm not saying a small faith, they have no faith, because they have replaced God with other gods. They pursue those idols not God. And what that does then is we say that we're self-reliant. We can do whatever we want. We do not need God. We're good for our own protection the way that we are. And lastly, I believe there is the element of possessions, what we have for ourselves. Jesus spoke of this. Jesus was out in the community one day And a gentleman came up to him and said, Jesus, would you settle the matter of inheritance? Now we have to really think of what that is to begin with. This man is saying, I want you to settle a dispute because I want money. I want what I think is coming to me, and from that I will be able to have security. Jesus turned it around, and he said, I want to teach you from a parable. He said there, there was a fool, a rich fool that looked over all that he had and saw that he was increasing all the time and getting more. And what was his solution to that situation? He said, I'll tear down my barns, and I'll make bigger ones so that I have more and more, and I'll be Okay. And then when that happened, he looked back and he said to himself, he said, soul, I'm doing good. I got stuff to last me forever, forever. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. That's what his security was. And Jesus said, you fool, tonight your life will be required of you. See, none of those things give us any security. Faith in all of these things are not implementation for battle. So, enough about the negative. So, where does our strength come from? The strength is that of God Himself. The Psalm says, The right hand is where the strength is. That is known to be, when it's used in God's Word, a symbol for victory, judgment, power, protection. God's presence, defeat of enemies, his mighty works. Just a couple psalms back in 17, verse 7, we heard, Wondrously show us your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge, for their adversaries are at your right hand. God is the one that will fight the victory for us through the power of his right hand. David knew many of those victories in his life, and I could tell you about those. You've read about them. But I think there's one thing that we have to understand about David that is even more powerful than the power that he had seen in victory when he was in battle. And that is the mercy of the God that he served. God shows grace to sinners. And it was very evident in David's life. Second Samuel, chapter 24. David has written this psalm saying, "Don't trust in anything else. Trust in God, His right hand." And in Second Samuel 24, what it says is, David said to the leader of his army. He said, Joab, I want you to go out and I want you to number all of our warriors. And he said, king, I don't think that's a good idea. There could be an element of he didn't know exactly why the king wanted to do it and might be fearful that they were going to go into battle, whatever it was, but he knew that it was not a good idea. But David must have been saying to himself, I want to know just how big my army is. But it came to him from the prophet Gad. Gad said, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have taken that sentence, sentence, senses, because God is angry with you, and there's going to be judgment come upon you, David. You have your choice. You have three things. You can have three years of famine. You can have three months of Your enemies, mankind coming against you, or you can take three days of pestilence. And David's heart was melted, and he saw the error of his sin, and he said, I have to take what God would give me. I don't want to deal with man. Give me what God would give me because he is merciful. I know my God, and he was humbled. And yes, there was a plague that came upon them, and many died. But Israel and David was restored, because that's the God of mercy. We think to ourselves, why would David ever go that far and make that mistake? Are we any better than him? Absolutely not. We can see victories in our own life, how God has intervened, how he has been there for us. And we turn around and we'll do the same thing and trust in something else. Just a couple days ago, the one thing that I said in my life that I could live without and why I would ever have one, a smartphone died on me. I was pushing all the buttons and nothing would happen. And I thought to myself, how am I ever going to know all those passwords I need for all those things that I've come equipped to use? How am I ever going to resolve this problem? This is a holiday weekend and nothing's going to be open. All afternoon, I'd go up and I'd, I plugged it in. Maybe it's low on a battery. Push buttons, nothing. My wife came home and in about 30 seconds had it working. (laughs) And I said to myself, you fool. You're so worried about that phone and you never said, Lord, would you help me in this situation? My strength was my own. But we saw where salvation came in the Old Testament. We have to see where salvation comes in the New Testament. Salvation in the New Testament is always spoken of as the situation of how man finds himself and how God intervenes. See, Israel was looking for someone to come and save them, like we saw in the Old Testament. But Christ came to save those because of our condition, and we are all lost in our sin, and we deserve God's wrath. Every person since Adam and Eve is in that same situation. But God intervened and came into this world. Jesus Christ was the one that would pay the penalty for sin for those that could not pay for themselves. He was the one, through his act, would unite us back to God himself. And what was the outcome for ourselves? We were reunited with God, we were given new hearts and we have a new standing before him. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. And he said, only believe and trust by faith in what I have done. We know that Christ has paid the price for sin. Revelation says that he is the one that in his hand holds the keys to death and the grave. He has conquered them. We can have that assurance because of what he has done. He is the one that holds in his right hand the angels and the church that they protect. He is all-powerful. He is the one that is at the right hand of God the Father himself. And he sits on the throne next to him. He sits because of the completed work There's nothing that has to be added to what he has done. His sacrifice was complete. All we have to do is believe. Whether it's in preparation or implementation, whatever we undertake in his name, the psalm begins and ends the same way. And we're reminded God answers when his people pray. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God that forgives sinners, that in the middle of our doubt, you still draw us unto yourself, that, Lord, in whatever battle we may find ourselves, that we first turn quickly to you, May we be humbled before you, Lord, and understand uh, that our selfish thought of how great we are and how much we have accomplished falls so short of you and what you have done for us. Lord, allow us to be individuals and a nation that trust in you, that come before you, that we humble our hearts before you, that we pray often, that we pray for others, that we pray specifically for those things, Lord, that we know people are hurting with in their life, but we also pray, Lord, that we be quick to share the name of the one who has made a difference in our own hearts and lives and that calls sinners unto themselves. Equip us for that work, Lord. We thank you for the truth of your word for the time that you give us And it's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.